Hello all, Happy New Year. This is the first episode of 2021. I started off my 2021 by issuing myself a book a day challenge. And the challenge was basically to see if I can read a book a day, or at least if it's a very long book in two days. So, so far since uh what day is it let's see uh, five days ago in five days i read four books um supernatural by graham hancock fingerprints of the gods by graham hancock uh the immortality key by brian i'm going to destroy his last name so i'm not going to try and your brain is a time machine by dean i'm not going to try his last name either but if you are interested in any of these books I would suggest that you Google just the titles and you should see them pop up. Uh, I wanted to make this episode a discussion of those four books, sort of like a Cliff Notes version and trying to kind of tie them all in together. I do wonder though if the last book, Is Your Brain a Time Machine, really will blend in with the rest of these episodes or with the rest of the other books. Only because um, Is Your Brain a Time Machine or Your Brain is a Time Machine rather, um, what that does is it delves more with time in space and physics and and all of that um and then the other three kind of look more through like the supernatural and history and alternative history and things of that nature so i'm going to start off by focusing on at least the first three uh immortality key fingerprints of the gods and supernatural i'll start with supernatural because that's what i started with first um and I got on that kick because one of my friends kind of popped up out of the blues that they were reading Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock. And I thought, wait, that name sounds familiar. I searched my library and saw that I did, in fact, have uh, one of Graham Hancock's books in my library. And so I decided, well, let's just give it a listen. Um, Supernatural is a very interesting book because it starts off historically. It talks about art and cave paintings and ancient sculptures. And so it, it, it's, it paints this, you know, image of, you know, the ancients would go into these caves and then they would have a kind of like a psychedelic experience. And then in these caves, they would sculpt things that they saw or, or draw on in the caves, things that they saw um, in their vision quests or in their, you know, while they were under the influence of hallucinogenic drugs. Um, and that's where, that was his theory as to how these sort of cave paintings came to be. Then it sort of veered in the middle to um, alien abductions and he combined alien abductions and stories of alien abductions to, abductions rather to um, people in early history um, in Europe uh, just throughout time really and their accounts of fairies elves um, as well as hybrid babies and human babies being kidnapped by fairies and elves in order to form hybrid babies um, so it's 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 a bit it's a bit wild, but I try to read these sort of things with an open mind only because when you encounter things that you have never really thought about before, at least not on your own, it does help it's an exercise in expanding the mind so when I hear these sort of things, I don't roll my eyes and say, "Okay, that's crazy." I pause and understand that you know 
there's there's things in this world that I, I don't know everything. And if he has experienced or toured or read enough or discussed these sort of concepts with enough people that people rather, um, where he's able to now come to these sort of conclusions or sort of, you know, unabashedly write about this stuff, you know, I will listen with an open mind. I'm not saying I necessarily believe in everything that he's presenting. I don't, but it, it, there were interesting topics and ideas uh, that he did present. Now, after that whole thing, he goes in to talk about the DNA, um, human DNA, and he mentions a zip mystery, which is Z-I-P-F. Um, and I would recommend that you sort of Google that and read about it. Zip's law um, in itself is a little unnerving, um, but... It's it, To me, it hints to the fact that perhaps we are, in fact, living in a, a sort of a simulation. And I guess I should read what Zip's law is for you. So let me go ahead and Google it and read it out. Um, I should have done that earlier. One second. Do, do, do. Elevator music. Zip's law. Okay. All right, so Ziff's Law is an empirical law formulated using mathematical statistics um, named after George Kingsley Ziff, who first proposed it. Ziff's Law states that given a large sample of words used, the frequency of any word is inversely proportional to its rank in the frequency table. Um, so that whole concept is sort of mysterious because you could take a book, a novel, and analyze it, and they will always f fall under this sort of law. Um, yeah, the frequency of each word is close to inversely proportional to its rank in the frequency table. Um, and he used that to describe what was happening in so-called junk DNA. And he found that, or he says that he found that, or not he particularly, but he talked to scientists who found that our junk DNA also um, operates under Zip's law, falls under Zip's law um, in the same way as like a novel will. Like if you take a novel and you scan through the novel, it will, it will fall under Ziff's law. Um, so I thought that that was like kind of wild. Um, then he talked about how some Virgin Mary sight sightings are actually UFO phenomenon co-opted by the church. So there were certain places where people actually saw, I guess they called them fairies and elves and things of that nature, small ethereal looking creatures with, you know, pale skin and, uh, hair and, um, and they performed miracles. And then later on, the Catholic Church uh, kind of took over those places and claimed that the, these entities that people mentioned seeing were actually, was actually the Virgin Mary. So that was an interesting tidbit. Then he moved on to back to uh, hallucinogens. And he talked about how Moses was a shaman who was under the influence possibly of a, an ayahuasca type of psychedelic or similar sort of drug that 
caused him to experience the encounter with the burning bush. Then he kind of delves into the fact that, or the theory rather, that hallucinogens are actually the foundation of most ancient religions. Um, so it's a lot of stuff going on in the book. Um, and if you are into that kind of stuff or you're interested in that, um, check it out. Now, there was one theory specifically that he mentioned that was that was um it was about panspermia I, I forget what scientists he said sort of wrote about it i wrote it somewhere actually you know what? it's always worth taking the time to find the information so bear with me once again, elevator music. I believe it was Crick. There we go. Uh, uh, Crick who discovered um, DNA, or one of the scientists who discovered uh, DNA, wrote a book on panspermia. He basically said that the way that our DNA is structured and coded, there's no way that this happened by accident, which essentially led itself, lent itself to the concept of... Uh, intelligent design being at the very least probable but because he was an atheist he decided instead to write a book called life itself its origin and nature this francis crick and he claims in that book that um life actually was formed on another planet and then came here um so like essentially uh, the concept of uh panspermia um so dna the code that we have right now has you know was the same dna coding just with different um adapt different formulas i guess um just like in a color reel we have three primary colors right red yellow, blue, and from those three colors, all the colors that humanity can perceive exist, right? That's basically the same thing with DNA. Um, that concept stuck with me. Um, the whole, we could possibly have been like planted, like our DNA possibly would could have been planted by like an alien species from you know another galaxy and then like earth being perhaps a type of arc like a Noah's Ark in itself would containing species of a lost civilization etc etc so I thought that concept was interesting and so I hoped to be able to find out some more information on that topic and i and i hoped or i at least assumed that he would delve into it deeper in the books uh in the following book that i read called fingerprints of the gods um now in fingerprints of the gods um that was not necessarily the case um fingerprints of the god started off talking about uh the piri reese map um and if you don't know what the Perry Reese map is, it's basically uh, 
a, an ancient a, a map that was discovered in a library in Constantinople. It shows features of the Earth that nobody in 1513 should have known, including Antarctica before Antarctica was discovered by modern man anyway, or modern civilization. And I put modern in quotes. Um, he also mentions other maps, other ancient maps that depict Antarctica um, and that predate, once again, predate the discovery of Antarctica by Western minds, by Western civilization, modern Western civilization. And he more or less starts off alluding to the theory that these maps may have referenced world surveys created by a lost, technologically advanced ancient civilization. So right away I'm reading that and I'm like, this sounds kind of like, like Atlantis, right? Like he's leading to the conclusion that Atlantis is real. Um, and that's basically how it, uh, it ended. Um, but in between the beginning and the end, there's a lot of references and a lot of information. So he talks about the Mayans and he talks about like the Olmec heads. Um, he talks about the correlation between, um, talks about the correlation between uh, the ancient Egyptians, the, I guess, geez, the, the Mayans and the Sumerians and how there was a lot of similarities between like their art and their gods and their practices and things of that nature as well. And the Olmec heads having African features, he did a great job of breaking that down. It showed that there was an African presence there um, and not as slaves like we've been programmed to just equate African to slaves. Um, but the presence of the Omic head and the way he says it, he breaks it down. He says, there's no way, um, like somebody just conceptualizes the concept of African people or these are in his words, you know, Negroid features. And you clearly needed a reference, um, to be able to, to, to sculpt these. And I know because I am an artist and a sculptor, sculptor as well, sculptor as of 2021, this is my new thing. But anyway, um, so yeah, you, you, you do need references. And if you've never encountered a particular ethnicity before, you don't just pull that ethnicity out of your ass, right? You need a point of reference. And there's so many Olmec heads that should tell you that these people, these African people with Negroid features existed in the Americas way, like thousands of years prior to America's uh, quote, discovery by, uh, you know who, um, I thought that that was interesting. If you haven't heard of the Olmec heads, I suggest just go on Google and type in Olmec head statues. Um, cause that's, that's definitely super cool to see. Um, he also discusses this concept called the hypothetical third party theory. Um, basically saying that there must have been a more technological advanced civilization that came to earth, a third party and essentially civilized man, um, mankind rather. He, he describes mankind as a species with amnesia. And then he delves into talk about the concept of the great deluge or otherwise known, otherwise known as the great flood. Um, now that's interesting. That was interesting to me because he brings up the fact of that throughout across different, you know, civilizations, there's this recurring 
recurrent story across cultures. There's this recurring story of uh, the flood, uh, the flood myth, right? A great flood where everybody, mankind gets wiped out and having to start over. And, you know, that to me was brow raising, right? Why is this like their consistent thing, right? Throughout all these cultures that otherwise don't interact with each other, they all have this myth, this story, this understanding, this belief at that there was, there was once upon a time in history, a time when a flood happened and sort of wiped out all of civilization in which mankind had to start over from the beginning. Most civilizations, if not all civilizations, also have a concept, a belief, um, an underlying belief in the idea of gods, right? Of entities that look human, but are somehow much more advanced, right? And there's this quote that says, uh, science is indistinguishable from magic at a certain point, yeah? So perhaps what the ancients and what these ancient cultures uh, what these ancient cultures took to be, you know, magic of the gods were actually more of a uh, technological uh, display from this, quote, third party of, of uh, civilizers that essentially what he says emerged after the flood to civilize um, man. And... Um, he ends the story by saying that as we move into the great the, the great thawing that's occurring now, climate change, you'll start to see Antarctica will melt. Um, and then we start we will start finding uh evidence of a technologically advanced civilization in Antarctica. And he said that they are basically uh that was basically where Atlantis was based. And so he said, he concludes that Thoth, um, which is Hermes, Greeks Hermes, um, Ra, Isis, Osiris, um, the Mayans, Quetzalcoatl, these were all actually like technologically advanced humans, like human beings who were Atlanteans. And when and somehow there was a drastic, like a great deluge, a drastic climate change, um, the ice age, you know, or, or a, a great thaw, something happened that caused Atlantis to fall. And these entities that all these cultures write about or perceive as gods were actually just technologically advanced humans who sort of traveled through the rest of the earth um, that wasn't either frozen or flooded. However, whatever the the, the tragedy was or the uh, cat, um, catastrophic event was, um, they were the ones who were able to escape from Atlantis as, as it was destroyed and then travel through the rest of the world to sort of um, teach the rest of humanity what they knew right that to me was pretty pretty dope oh and then he says that there is um uh, another impending um cataclysm that's coming for us uh in about 2030 so i didn't like that part but going back to the concept of 
gods and Atlantis and etc. I like that idea. I don't find it to be that far-fetched only because of this. Right now on Earth, there are civilizations that are existing at different rates of you know, technological advancement, right? Like we have, uh, let's go, you go to Japan and everything's sort of cool and robotic. Singapore is like super advanced and Asia in general, like their trains are super fast. And then you have, you know, the West and we're, we're advanced too, but you know, relatively, I feel like in Asia, they're really kind of on top of things there. Um, but then you draw comparisons to all still in 2021, there are civilizations of people who still are living like in, like like it's 1500 1600s like they don't have running water they don't have electricity they don't know about cell phones right you can even think of um people who are like you know these untouched tribes in the amazonian rainforest that have never sort of interacted with anyone outside of their civilization so right now concurrently all of this is existing right now all of all of this is existing simultaneously right now different civilizations different cultures different countries you know different groups of peoples who who people rather who are at variant points of civilization so if something like the, the movie uh 2012 um basically showed like the magnetic fields of the earth shifted and that caused like everything that was like north of the equator to like just be like completely messed up and then so humanity had to move like to like south of of the equator right so if something like that were to happen now right like it's a, a mass flooding like there's just a gigantic shift and and weather and temperature like all of the stuff that we have right now would be completely gone and then the few of us who are able who are for for some reason able to get away from here or the people who just happen to be existing right now in those areas they will survive right um but let's say you're an you're an american scientist and you are able to see this coming and you're able to get on some sort of ship or series of ships or subs or whatever it is whatever technology that will allow you to escape from this hemisphere to a hemisphere that's unaffected right and now you encounter people like in you know the deserts or whatever of um africa or the forests of whatever you would bring them the civilization what you have learned from your culture you would bring it to them and if they had never interacted with your culture before and you know these are just farmers or whatever to them a cell phone an ipad whatever else our government is capable of right now that the rest of us aren't aware of right whatever it is that that we have access to that they don't um and they were largely superstitious you would be treated as a god Right, so to me, it's not that far-fetched. Fingerprints of the gods wasn't quite as far-fetched or hard to believe as perhaps supernatural, which supernatural more talked about, you know, aliens and and drugs and and um, hallucinogens. Not that I don't like 
not that I'm put off by those topics, I'm not, but I like the historical sort of uh, theorizing of, uh, you know, of like perhaps what the ancients thought to be gods were actually people who were escaping like a much more technologically advanced, like let's say Antarctica um, before, you know, an ice age, right? They got up, you know, while it was happening or whatever and brought with them some technology because what you read about is when they discuss the gods, it's like the gods always, in, in all these different cultures, they always seem to have, um, like human, you know, abilities in the sense of like they do age, they get sick, they can mate with, you know, humans. So to me, if if there's a, if a god can mate with humans, and they're probably also humans, right? Like it's a cross, it's not like they're cross species, they're the same species because they're able to mate and produce offspring. So these sort of stories, recurring tales of, you know, gods, quote, gods mating with humankind or human beings just tells me that, okay, they have to be of the same species. And we've seen it time and time again, even like in movies or TV shows like Star Trek, oftentimes when a significantly more technologically advanced civilization interacts with one that is less so they always the less advanced uh culture always kind of looks to them like in worship right as some sort of gods right because their minds just can't like for the most part like even deal with that with, with this something when you're you know farming you know, and you don't have electricity, uh, a television, if you've never seen a television, a television seems like a miracle. So there's a cell phone, you know? Um, so that to me was, was interesting. Not that I didn't like what Hancock discussed in Supernatural. I found, I just found personally, um, this story, Fingerprints of Gods, to be intriguing. A couple of times he did mention, uh, that, you know, 2012 and Mayan prophecy and all of that. But, you know, overall, uh, it was an interesting, uh, interesting read. I would say if you have any interest in the, like, in alien encounters and, and linking them to mythology, and I guess I could probably approach the same sort of, you know, approach supernatural with the same sort of open-mindedness discussion that I just did with fingerprints of the gods if that is your thing and you're into like okay could there be a correlation between fairies and aliens right alien sightings um then I would definitely I wouldn't say like don't read that like it, it is interesting the one thing about supernatural that was sort of weird to me was the fact that there was this recurrent theme of the aliens slash elves or whatever continuously wanting to uh, sort of forcibly impregnate for lack of a better phrasing um human females um they were trying to it was forced pregnancies and they were trying to make hybrid humans like that that seemed like of all the people that they in they interviewed even in modern times it kind of recounted stories of uh, alien abductions it seems like these entities were 
consistently trying to create hybrids with humans. Now that led me to theorize that perhaps, perhaps um, aliens, elves, basically what we understand as a spiritual entity are actually like non-corporal parasites that essentially feed on humanity's psychic abilities to manifest like whatever realities that we want, you know, or shift through realities. You know, there's something to be said about having a body. Like consistently these entities that possess people or kidnap people, you know, when people tell the stories of abductions, it seems like uh, these abductions are occurring on a spiritual level, right? They have implants that are putting on their that are put in to their bodies, but then when they, you know, are examined, those implants are gone or missing or aren't present at all. And when you talk to these individuals, they swear, no, like this really happened. So my thing is, is they're like, do we, do human beings, obviously we do, um, but I'll finish the question. If human beings have a non-corporeal uh, form as well, that can also be manipulated, right? And then is there something to the fact that because we also have corporal form, corporal basically meaning tangible, like your body, like your corpse, right? Um, these entities want to sort of become more like us, you know, in a, to be able to manipulate, um, reality, um, and could this be why they are abducting, uh, women and like making pregnancies? That to me is wild. Like you, it's almost like it, it, it's like, it's, it pushes the bar your barrier of perception because there are people who are, who genuinely, like not just regular people, scientists who write about this stuff, story, historians who write about this stuff and theorize about what all this means. So not to be, you know, dismissed at all, but to be considered. Why is it that this recurrent stories, even there was a DMT, there was a book on DMT, I think it's called DMT, The Spirit Mo Molecule, and there was a scientist who, was in a lab setting injecting his patients with DMT. And a lot of them also re reported the same thing when they came to, that they were interacting with entities that wanted to implant things into their bodies. They swore up and down that they had things implanted into their bodies, but upon, upon further examination, nothing came of it. Um, and then there were women who would talk about, you know, hybrid babies and things like that. What is that about? So when I see something that kind of keeps recurring, it, it kind of makes me want to examine that closely um, and then theorize as to, let's let's just say there is a spiritual realm. Obviously, if you believe that you are not a, just your body and you have a consciousness or a spirit or a soul, then you also have to believe that there's got to be, you know, a non-formative world, right? If you if you believe that you're not a body, that you have a body, that you're a spirit who has a body, and then you are in a you know corporal world, then you also have to kind of accept the fact that uh, there should be a non-corporal world that we, for some reason or another, seem to be incapable of accessing um, unless through chemicals like DMT or uh, ayahuasca or uh, quote magic mushrooms and or even fasting in case I'm actually going to delve into that when I talk about the immortality key where he breaks that down to the origins of religion um, and see if I can blend everything together but that to me tells me it's like it seems like 
like in Graham, Graham Hancock mentioned in Supernatural, no, in Fingerprints of the Gods, that humanity seems to be suffering from some sort of a form of uh, the, uh, amnesia. And it does seem like there's a lot happening to us in this world that we seem to not know a lot about, even though we should. And one of the things is, you know, an understanding of what is out there, what this quote, what we call spiritual world, is the word spiritual just another word for, you know, like if you watch Star Trek, they they frequently encounter what are what are labeled non-corporeal entities, which are essentially just entities that have evolved beyond needing bodies. And we, humanity, we are dual entities, so we have bodies, we aren't the bodies. And perhaps there are non-corporeal entities that want bodies and, and they you know, either trying to reverse engineer or re, re, I guess, devolve because once you reach a point in evolution where you exist without a body, perhaps the inability to feel things after a while sort of uh, gets to you and you sort of want that. You get addicted to those feelings again. So now they're trying to scientifically figure out how to do that. Several, several topics in, sci in science fiction explore this. Um, one, Right now I can see it has, uh, I think his name is Peter Jackson. It's called Fringe. And they kind of showed that, but it was a, a physical slant. It showed that like 100 years or whatever, 300 years in the future, mankind, um, quote, evolves to a place where they don't, they no longer have like sex there. There are no females. They just kind of grow everybody in the tube, but they also don't have emotions. And then they come back into our time because there's something kind of missing in their in their lives, right? Like there's no music, there's no art, there's there are no women, <laughs> no color, no passion, and all of that. And so, you know, they kind of travel back in time to exist in our time, so that they can experience things that they had that humanity as a whole had um, quote evolved past. Um, so, I, I, evolution doesn't necessarily involve something that's linear and another uh example that pops into mind is an old star trek episode that i watched i think it was some, the original series where it was the same thing there were these they used to be human or at least humanoid they had evolved past needing uh the bodies but then like they started like possessing human beings because they were a, they wanted the body they wanted the sensation feeling they, they you know so they like went about it like kind of a messed up way or whatever and i'm wondering if you know the psyches of the writers who are writing these sort of stories aren't perceiving something you know that might be that might be you know you might be oblivious to it so i find that um whole topic to be interesting um but yeah if if we can have a corporeal realm which is what earth is and why can we also not have simultaneously a uh spiritual realm um so i'm looking at my notes right now and um other things he talked about in fingerprint and uh sorry in supernatural he talked about ayahuasca the plant having a spirit and like when people consume ayahuasca 
it takes him to like a land of like plant people. And and like that's interesting to me, you know, as well. Like is is the drug like a sort of portal that allows your non-corporeal self, like the non-corporeal, the spiritual, your spiritual body to travel to these like alternate non-corporeal, like quote, spiritual realms, right? And they say, it's said in that book, Spirit, uh, Supernatural, that these planned beings were sort of quote, gods. We tend to kind of assign that label to anything that's like, you know, greater than human standard right we even do this like human beings that are alive now like some people have called you know like great athletes like oh that's a god or like a woman who's like supremely beautiful we call them like oh that's a goddess and i just seem like this is just something that we intrinsically do we elevate to godhood human beings that are just like you know slightly above or above uh base level standard um actions um or looks or you know, performance or anything like that. Um, but looking over my notes, plant beings, God's teaching you things encountered by entrance or drug and influence individuals. Um, those sort of concepts are also found in Greek myths and also found in the Bible. Um, he mentioned that there could be a hall of records stored in our DNA, that we might have secrets in our own mind. Um, and that eventually we are working towards evolving into being fully conscious beings. I've talked about consciousness a lot in this podcast about how it's not a given, right? Like you've got to exercise uh, consciousness. You've got to work towards it. I mentioned Gurdjieff and uh, Uspensky, and they basically say the same thing. Um, but these are all like... If you're, if you are at, at any le at any point, uh, any level, interested in anything that I've said right now, I would implore you to check out those two books. Um, just you know, with an open mind, just because I I can you know this is a short podcast relatively, um, and I can only kind of give you what kind of jumped out to me. But you may listen to that, listen to these books, and get something else out of it. But there are really some really interesting. Elves and fairies aside, the, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, no, you know, I shouldn't be dismissive of those aspects because there's other things that he mentioned about how, for example, um, evidence that DMT could actually cause your brain to work more as, you know, as a receiver, right? So right now our brain is a receiver and it just kind of trend it, it, it it picks up this reality, right? So it's transmitting this reality for our consciousness to experience. But then when you take certain uh, illegal, I should say, just make you know, make note of that, but psychedelics and hallucinogens, it kind of reforms your brain or it's like an adapter or whatever that like shifts, like it tunes the channel for you to perceive another reality. And, you know, they say like, for example, when you dream, DMT is in everything, it's in everybody. And so for some people, especially people who have like vivid dreams, you could, something in your brain could be activating the DMT that's found naturally in your body, which then leads you to have, quote, dreams. But these dreams may very well be you experiencing or your brain receiving a transmission from an alternate reality. You know, humans exist on many levels, not just the level that we're in right now. 
and hallucinogens could be a means in which you can transfer your consciousness out of this particular dimension to you know alternate dimensions so all very 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 at the very least um paradigm shifting thought provoking um stuff for sure um moving on to the immortality key the immortality key was less um, i don't know what word i'm looking for so i'm not going to do it it was different in the sense of it's a different author um but what this what the immortality key focused on more was on the origins of religion um there are some words that, that he used that kind of make you raise an eyebrow, like witchcraft and witches and stuff like that. But to round it up and to just give you a very brief synopsis, what he basically said was, was, the, was this. Um, first things first, the basis of all religion on this planet, initially anyway, are hallucinogenic drugs. And it is through hallucinogenic drugs that mankind has been able to make contact with entities that people would describe as quote gods and i don't mean gods in the sense of what hancock talked about in uh fingerprints of the gods i mean more gods in the sense of what people encounter that feeling of I guess I should say the true God, like our, our true understanding of God, uh, the universe. When, when people say, you know, you are God, they mean like a, a higher consciousness, not like a, a physical form or an advanced human being like a Thoth or a, or a Ra or an Osiris, right? Where Hancock sort of theorizes that those entities were just human beings like us and they came, you know, to bring sort of their knowledge to other civilizations. What the immortality talks about when it talks about gods are, are, or the collective consciousness, right? That that experience you feel when you are connected, when you've meditated, um, when you feel that that oneness with the world and the understanding that we are all one, that sort of thing. Um, and essentially, he said he starts off with the premise of saying that, like, in order for people to become more religious, and not in like the negatory, negatory, the negative um, perception that it's become now, but more in spiritual, um, and have these spiritual encounters with the all, you know, encompassing all mind, I guess, for lack of better phrasing, is. Um, Psycho, uh, psychedelics and then he goes through and he talks about like ancient practices for one um apparently in ancient greeks when they use the the word you know philosophy and the, there's a quote by uh, socrates a paraphrase where he basically says to study philosophy is to learn to die he basically says uh brian uh the author uh he basically says that that concept of what we perceive of or what we think of when we think of philosophy is not just the study of books or the pursuit of wisdom it's actually a practice through like an ancient ritual of imbibing um, hallucinogens and then kind of going off you know to meditate in like areas where there's like sensory deprivation so whether it's a cave 
um, mostly in caves. And um, the, the act is called incubation. So if you type in ancient incubation, you should find the ritual or really you could be able to read about the ritual um, from on Wikipedia. And that was interesting. Um, and when I was listening to that, it made me think of the beginning of uh, Supernatural where he discussed cave paintings of the surreal, right? Same thing. Like People would go into caves and paint you know, surreal entities. And I kind of wonder if, you know, well, well I'm going to link the two. Um, if the, the ancient cave paintings, the reason why they occurred in caves is because people would engage, the ancients would engage in the exercise of imbibing hallucinogens and then, but intentionally doing so, uh, that incubation, they would intentionally do so in the caves. And then, they would draw what they saw, what they experienced right there in the cave, um, particularly as a message to, you know, followers and to others to help facilitate their experiences, their psychedelic experiences as well. Um, that was something interesting. And then he talks about how Dionysus, for example, which is a wine god, um, obviously, who turned water into wine predated um the christian jesus and then the, uh, the writer john the writer of the gospel of john had also intentionally according to the author made it like blended dionysus with jesus christ in order to recruit followers of the cult of dionysus now, an interesting point that he brought up that I'd never thought about before, because we tend to perceive history through our modern eyes, is that wine back then is not the same like wine that we think of when we drink, you know, drink wine or think of wine now. They would put herbs and sometimes lizards and frog parts and things like that, like it was meant not to get you drunk, but to cause you to hallucinate. And to some, and to some points, some people actually died. Um, there was a book in the Bible where Paul actually discusses, in one, in one translation, people actually dying from the consumption of wine at the Eucharist. And so what this author is trying to show the reader, and this is a relatively new book, like it, he's mentioning COVID, um, and the quarantine, so it must have just come out. Um, but what he's trying to show you is that the first Eucharist, where you know Christ says, "Eat my body and drink my blood," um, wasn't like, you know, as random as we interpret it to be. That it's actually there's an excellent an act. I forget what it's called. I think it's called like up of that's up. That's a tongue tied. The act is called apophysis, I believe. Um, but it's the act of wanting to become like uh, like God. And the way you do this, the way you accomplish this, um, is by consuming the flesh of your God. So when Christ says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, He's saying, essentially, eat this hallucinogenic 
medicine or drug or mushroom, whatever, that's the flesh of God, and drink my blood, which is the hallucinogenic wine. That's the blood of God. And when you consume these things, it actually allows for you to perceive God and become like the one, like the higher consciousness, the over consciousness, the all all knowing, um, the all mind, so to speak. Um, so that that was essentially a different, um, a different interpretation for sure than what I have ever heard of the Eucharist, and um, well, the whole act of you know consuming the body of Christ. Like I always obviously thought that that was really weird, you know. Um, but through that interpretation, it actually does make a bit more sense, you know. So you see certain things like, I found this book called Healing, Dream, and Ritual, Ancient Incubation and Modern, Psycho Modern Psychotherapy. Um, that was an interesting sort of um, write-up. But um, there's another quote, the first, from the direct quote from the book, the first Eucharist was psychedelic. Another direct quote from the book, to go down to the underworld when you're dead is one thing. To go down while you're alive, prepared unknowingly, and then learn from the experience is another thing entirely. Right? These sort of quotes, quote by Socrates, those who engage with philosophy, meditation in the right way are practicing nothing else but dying and being dead. Right? Another direct quote, walking, I'm sorry, waking is a form of consciousness. Dreaming is another. Essentially, it seems like the ancients really sort of knew what they were talking about when they made, you know, made these sort of comparisons between communing with God and dying before you die. And when they talk about dying before you die, it's kind of the same sort of concepts that the Buddhists and the Hindus have written about, which is killing the ego and recognizing that you are not Bob or John or Smith or Kelly or whatever, that you are actually part, you're like, you are God experiencing all of reality through these different forms. So it's, you know, it's, um, it definitely, definitely was an interesting read because it took Christianity or what we know to be Christianity and gave it like, once again, that Eastern philosophy, philosophical twist to it. But then it also throws in hallucinogens um, as a way to experience, you know, the all, all, the all one, right? The collective consciousness, there you go. What we really should think of as God, not the, you know, the bearded man looking down from us, but like a non-gendered entity that sort of is what we are right that like the ocean like the ocean and a drop of water are the same thing right so your soul your spirit whatever you want to call it is a drop of water and then god is essentially the ocean from which all these things stem all these other you know souls consciousness stem, stems reality i'm sorry religion wants to sort of twist that and say no there's this entity in the sky that's watching you and you've got to you know follow all these laws and the rules or else you'll go to hell 
Um, but that's, of course, just another method in which to control people. There's a quote, self-knowledge is knowledge of God. Um, great quotes. Birth and death have no meaning. It's more a state of always being. So the idea that we never die, this is how the book kind of starts off. Another quote, consciousness survives bodily death. Another quote, ego is just an elaborate illusion. Another quote, if you die before you die, you won't die when you die. Yeah. And all of these themes, right? Even Christ talks about rebirth, being born again, you know, um, all of that. It, it's all, he links everything up to Eastern philosophy and essentially says that psychedelics were used to facilitate that experience of killing the ego, leaving the body. And this is something that people experience every time they consume um, certain hallucinogens, right? They they all report pretty much the same thing, that they feel like they're not really their, their body, that they don't die, that life is eternal. And they come back from these um, hallucinogenic experiences having what they would consider a, a spiritual experience, an experience, a, a, a experience that this world is an illusion, you know, their ego is an illusion, and that when they die, that everything is still going to be okay, because they'll keep going on. And how the book concludes is essentially that the Catholic Church started the war on drugs, and it was also they who led to the persecution of women because in ancient times, women were also the ones who were the herbologists who were making these, who were gathering the, the you know, hallucinogenic, you know, mushrooms and plants and, and all of that. And they offered through these plants, women offered something that a male-dominated papacy, a male-dominated church couldn't through the, you know, through the hallucinogens. Um, he used the word, I forget what word he used to describe what you get at the church, which was just sort of more like a stand-in, um, a false promise of a communion with God. And he basically said that they, the ancients treated, they used herbal medicine, um, plants, gases, even in the case of the Oracle of Delphi, as a way to commune with the uh, with a higher level of consciousness, with a, you know, collective con consciousness with essentially, quote, God, right? If you want to use that term. And because the church couldn't obviously, like, give people hallucinogenic drugs, right? Um, and thus control that experience, they instead decided to just control the women and the people who did, you know, pass out drugs, or not drugs, but the hallucinogenic plants um, to the public because those people challenge their authority, challenge their power. Um, and so, yeah, that's how that ends. Insane, insane, mind-blowing stuff um, that, once again, it shifts your perception of reality slightly. Um, I, I will say that I enjoyed that book and I would definitely read it again. So as I said in the beginning of the podcast, I did read four books this week, um, but 
because the three of them kind of tie in really nicely to each other, I will intentionally not talk about the fourth book that I did read, which I just finished today, which was called uh, Your Brain is a Time Machine. That one has more to do with physics and science fiction. So I want to talk about this in like a different um, episode, probably like I'll do another episode at the end of this week. So yeah, um, I hope you enjoyed listening and um Thank you for your continued support to this podcast. Uh, it's been great watching the podcast grow through time. Um, I will be doing more of these. I, I'm going to really focus on my, you know, reading and then just passing the information on to you guys. Just I, I want to keep the topic, you know, as thought provoking as 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 being the underlying theme. Um, I know kind of sidestepped last year into politics and things of that nature, um, but you know, that's not something I'm I mean, necessarily passionate about. While it was warranted, all things considered, I do want to talk more about things that expand people's minds and, and make them think and make them more conscious. So thanks for, for, you know, being with me through this journey and for continuing to listening. And I'm looking forward to more episodes. All right. Thanks for listening. Take care.